Thank you, team. Good time of worship with those songs. And this morning, we're picking up again on the Lord Jesus' majestic Magna Carta, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 to 7 of Matthew. And I will read a few verses from Matthew 5, verse 17 and following. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it has been said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, you idiot, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way, first to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will be, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. O living and true God, you who have spoken to us in the law and the prophets and have spoken in these last days by your Son, help us to stand before your word, recognizing it that you have honored your word even above your name. Father, grant us that true, awesome love and reverential fear of you, for you are the Lord God, our creator. And help us again to see the wonder of the law you have given us. As we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, a thing to remember about all of the teachings of the Lord Jesus, and particularly a great passage like this, is that none of it was understood 
until after Pentecost. Now, that's quite a remarkable statement, but when Jesus was delivering this great sermon, and you think of those disciples who weren't even quite sure yet who Jesus was. I mean, they had an inkling he was a great prophet. A little later, of course, the Father reveals to Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But everything's in, in, in flux right now as he speaks. So he's giving this great Sermon on the Mount, and nobody's getting it, because it's not time. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and enlightened the disciples and brought their, their, to, to their remembrance everything Jesus had said, not only did they remember what he said, but they understood it. He opened their eyes to understand Scripture. And you remember Peter's first great sermon in the book of Acts. This fisherman, never been to Bible college, never been to theological seminary, had never taken a course in how to preach. But there he is at Pentecost, and he delivers the word of God, and a great spirit of revival comes on Israel. Thousands say, what shall we do? And that's the beginning of, of the word of God that Jesus gave, of, of it becoming powerful and beginning to do the work he sent it to do in calling out a people that became the living church. So kind of remember that. And then also remember, he's speaking from the mount. And that reminds you who first spoke from the mount to Moses. Remember the tremendous audio-visual effects on Mount Sinai when God spoke to Moses and gave the law? And, it, and he wrote it with his finger on the tablets of stone. And, 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 of course, Israel knew that God had spoken. And Moses came with those tablets. And that became the foundation of absolutely everything in the Scripture, the giving of the law. And so now Jesus is speaking from the mount, but there's no audiovisual effects. There's simply him sitting there, and when he opened his mouth, they listened. Not because, like I said, of anything unusual, except there was a powerful authority of God coming through him. And the people recognized this is something we have not heard before. A man speaking like this, because there's life in the words. It's not just empty, ritualistic, law-keeping, and all of that kind of stuff. This is a living thing. And so they took notice. Going back to the Beatitudes... We just touch on that because that's the foundation of the rest of the sermon. And remember, it's so important to understand none of these beatitudes are natural traits. None of us are blessed because we inherently have something we can offer God. We are bankrupt and we need God. We need grace. We need forgiveness. And as Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be 
born again, born of the Spirit, born from above. There needs to be a heavenly uh, work done in you by the Holy Spirit, and then you'll see the kingdom of God. And so it, it's so important to remember that. So when he began, blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember, that's the foundation. That's where you enter the kingdom. That's where you see your need, that you're destitute, that you're poor, you're poverty-stricken, and you need his grace, and you come to the cross. And it's like the old hymn writer said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. And when that work begins in us, then you have the outflow of all of those beatitudes. Every single believer is to manifest by the Holy Spirit all of the qualities of the beatitudes. And it's a growing thing for the rest of your life. And then he says it's not surprising then because you're so different from the world that you're going to be persecuted. You're not going to be appreciated but you might find yourself being attacked and persecuted in every possible way. And then he said, because of these things within you, this new life, these qualities, this this new thing that's happening, you will become the salt and the light of the world. And just think of that salt, the great preservative, and light, the great revealer. And that's what we become as believers. And then Jesus begins this new section. Because remember, as he began to teach, what was the great accusation brought against him by the religious authorities of his day, the scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, and of course, the priesthood? What was was he accused of? He was accused of minimizing the law of God. They accused him of destroying Moses and the teachings of Moses. So he announces here, do not think for a moment that I have come to destroy the law and prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is so important and because it helps us to remember as believers, Scripture is a unity. Now, I know in your Bibles you have Old Testament and you have New Testament. The danger is we take them as two different things instead of seeing them as a great whole. And Jesus is saying that here. I've not come to destroy what Moses said. I've come to establish it, to fulfill it. I've not come to minimize it, and you're going to see in a in the next part of this sermon, he's going to do anything but minimize the law. And so it's it's important as us believers to see the great unity of Scripture and how Jesus is completely in line with what Moses taught. Now when you think of the word I've come to fulfill. With Jesus, this is very unique. It doesn't just mean I've come to keep it. I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> Jesus came to perfectly keep the law 
of God. He's the only human being that ever did. Because what is unique about Jesus is he's the actual living life of the righteousness of the law. Like, when you see him, you see what the law was meant to be. When you watch him with people, when you see him teach, you you hear the words, you you see the grace flow from him, what you're seeing is law and the spirit of the law in action. But how did he come to fulfill it? Well, he came to fulfill it because he was under it. He was born under the law. But most important, he came to fulfill it, meaning it was the whole direction of his life. That's why he came. Number one, remember the law is the moral Ten Commandments. Remember that? The great thou shalt, ten of them. The Ten Commandments of God, from those flow any moralistic ideas of righteousness. So the moral law is definitely, he fulfilled it in his life, but why did he go to the cross? He went to the cross because it's all about the law that you and I have broken. We have become transgressors of the law, and also we're full of iniquity. Transgressions breaking the law. Iniquity is twisting its righteousness. Twisting it, twisting what God wanted out of shape. And because that's happened, the simple story is Christ went to the cross to receive in his body on the cross the due penalty of the broken law. And thus he bore, like, 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 uh, Second Corinthians 5 puts so, per- so perfectly, He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that fantastic? And so he came to fulfill the law, meaning he bore in his body on the cross the full weight of the broken law that the human race has has committed. And it shows us the ultimate seriousness of, of, of the law of God, doesn't it? Now, secondly, the law, the law in the Old Testament, is, there's the moral Ten Commandments, and then there's the ceremonial part of the law, which is all of the aspects of the law dealing with worship. Now, you remember all of that. You've read it, and you think, what's all of this stuff? You know, the priesthood, the sacrificial system. The, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness and how they had to meticulously carry it all out. Like, what's that all about? That is pointing to what Jesus did on the cross. And if you read the book of Hebrews, there it is. He was, he was the high priest offering the perfect sacrifice himself in the heavenly tabernacle of God at the cross. None of us could see it, but it was all taking place there. And it was awesome. And so he came to fulfill the ceremonial part of the law perfectly. Thus, you and I don't need to have sacrifices Sunday morning. And we don't have to have a priesthood. 
We don't have to have a tabernacle. We don't have to have the holiest of all. All of that important stuff was totally fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the third part of the law is the judicial uh, civil part of the law, which had to do with Israel as a nation. And, of course, what replaced the nation of Israel in the New Testament? Who are the, who are the children of Abraham by faith? We are. We are the new heavenly Jerusalem, and we are the new nation of Israel in the spirit, and we are thus uh, his people. So, so notice how perfectly, and that's a whole study, how perfectly the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law. Like he said, none of it will be done away with till it's all fulfilled. And he fulfilled a huge piece of it. But the part that remains is the call of God for us to live the righteousness of the law. And that's what he's going to look at now a little bit. Now, he, he says, therefore, as he comes back to talk about the law, he says there are people that minimize the law and then teach that to others to live that way. Now, who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. What's he getting at? The scribes and Pharisees who, who thought they were the gatekeepers of Israel, they were the ones who, as no other group, established the law for the people of Israel. Now, this is what they kind of did to the law. They were so anxious that all of you people keep the law that they couldn't leave anything up to chance, just in case you slipped and didn't quite keep it. So what they did is they sat down over hundreds of years and they came up with a tremendous list of interpretations of how you apply the law to every part of your life. So when you brushed your teeth, you had to do it a certain way, according to the law, you know, and if you, whatever you did, if you went for a trip, especially on the Sabbath, you know, if you were to carry something on the Sabbath, well, they, they had it all covered. They had literally hundreds of bylaws to help Israel keep the law. But what happened with that? What do people begin to focus upon when you do that? They start to focus upon the things that you can that you can manage yourself. They all walked away feeling, especially the Pharisees, because the very word mean meant separatist. They were the holy ones. And they literally felt that they were champions of keeping the law of God. But what they had actually done by doing all of these little laws is they had emptied the law of its spirit. Now, let me get, get make this very clear in a simple way. You read a sign, do not litter. How many have read those signs? 
You ever seen a sign, don't litter? Now, how many of you stop and pause for a minute and say, I haven't literally littered, so I'm a pretty good citizen of Canada. But how are you supposed to read that law? You're supposed to say, why does it say, don't litter? Is it about littering? There's a principle behind that. The principle is, we want to take pride in this beautiful country of ours. And we see that our part in doing that is for all of us to honor our country to relish nature, to uphold it, and and make it beautiful. That's what that law is telling you. And it says, don't walk on the grass. Is it all about not walking on grass? What's behind that? It's because the person that put it up wants to have the most beautiful lawn on the block. And the whole force of the law is not the sign of walking on grass, It's the principle. We want beautiful lawns. Well, what the Pharisees had done, the whole emphasis became upon the letter of the law, forgetting all about the principle and the spirit of the law. Now, what's the spirit of the Ten Commandments? That we should love the Lord your God with how much? All heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, I'm asking you to really love him this morning with your mind. (laughs) Because you're thinking, what's all this stuff about? (laughs) Very important for us to think it through. The Pharisees didn't. And they came up with a righteousness that, that actually revolted Christ. And remember, he spoke more about those people negatively than anything else in the Gospels. He didn't talk about the Romans and how terrible they were. He didn't talk about the Gentiles and all the deficiencies they had. He was heartbroken over the spiritual leadership of Israel because they had literally destroyed the spirit of what the law meant. And, of course, that's why they could hate Jesus. That's why they could gossip about Jesus. That's why they could falsely accuse Jesus. That's why they could take him to court and falsely accuse him, drag him before Pilate, because they had emptied the law of its spirit, and they did not know that they were of their father, the who? Imagine the spiritual leadership of Israel doing the bidding of their father, the devil, trying to keep the law. They destroyed it. They destroyed the heart. They they gutted it. And so when Jesus looked at them and looked at the way they dealt with people, no compassion, when they dealt with those that were down and out, no compassion. When they dealt with the poor sinner, no compassion, no mercy, because they weren't like them. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that publican. Lord, I thank you that 
that I'm able to tithe. I thank you that, that I, I do all these good things in your name. I thank you I keep the law and I'm not like that idiot over there. The spirit of self-righteousness re- absolutely revolts the heart of God. And so Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you, you, you have no hope of heaven. Now, here's the group that the Israelites put on a pedestal, these Pharisees. Here's the group that they look to. Here's the group that they listen to Sabbath by Sabbath. And Jesus says, that's not it. It's not that when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds, what he meant is that kind of righteousness. And remember, it faces us every generation in the church. The danger of not seeing the spirit of what the law really means. Loving God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourself. Now this is so critical that he gives us several illustrations now about what he's really getting at. Now the thing to remember before I go on is when you read his new standard here, you know, you've heard that it has been said, and this is what you've been taught by your religious leaders, he said, but I say to you, and you look at them, first of all, murder, adultery, and then a divorce, and then taking of oaths, and then, of course, uh, sharing what you have with those that don't have and loving your enemy. He's not laying those out and saying, okay, here's the Pharisees. Now I want you guys to keep this. Are you going to be able to do it, guys? <laughs> you see, he, he, he's now going to tell us what the spirit of the law is about. It's not about that you don't commit murder. It's about your whole inner being and how it responds to other people. Right? And so when I look at myself when I'm driving down the highway and one guy passes me, he's an idiot. And another guy tails me, tailgates me, well, he's twice the idiot, right? <laughs> uh, what, watch the movements of your heart toward people. And you'll understand what he says when he says, but I say unto you, it's not about, have you literally not killed somebody? Is that what it's about? Or no, he says, it's about your very attitude, your reaction, the way you work and deal with people. Is it out of love? Or is it out of agitation, impatience, all the other things that will end up making you say, that guy is an absolute idiot, an empty head, you know, whatever it is. And so he's not just laying down and saying, okay, now the Pharisees do this, but I want you to do this, and then you're okay. The whole point is, none of us are okay. Because none of us, if, if we can't keep Sometimes the literalness of the law, how are we going to keep the spirit of the law? 
So what happens is, all through the epistles, the answer is there, isn't it? And the answer is, the fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit, meaning God at work in you, is the only way for you and I to live out the true righteousness of the law. It's not by it coming at it face on and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to try harder. And this week, no bad attitudes toward people. <laughs> Rather than that realization, Lord, the moment I put my feet on the floor in the morning, <laughs> I really need you and your grace and your spirit to be at work in me. So that what will flow out of me is the very mind of Christ. And it's not me just acting it out or pretending. But it's rather, it's, it's the true righteousness of the law. And so remember, in Christ by faith we are made righteous. By the indwelling Spirit of God, we can practice righteousness. But it's always a growing thing. Like Paul even says of himself, do I count myself having attained? He says, I haven't attained. But this thing I do, leaving what's behind, I press on for the higher calling of God in Christ. Right? So please try to capture what he's getting at here. He's drawing a line and saying there's a kind of righteousness That's not righteousness at all. All it is is a form of legalism. It's a bunch of good little Boy Scouts keeping the rules, but they're not keeping it from the heart of God. And that's the difference. So we want to be a fellowship of believers who aren't, you know, the ones that are Remember the old thing years ago? This used to be especially true of Baptists, which I was one of them. Uh, you know, all Baptists were known for is all the things they can't do. Right? I mean, that's quite a thing to be known by, right? You're known by all the things you can't do. The Well, that's the Pharisees of the New Testament. That's what they were known by. By all the things that you couldn't do. Instead of like Christ... It was, it's like kind of reversed that in a positive way. It's all the things you can do in the liberty and life of Christ. It's liberating. And you know, what the greatest thing you and I can do for our children in our discussions is we often just leave them with a rule. I don't want you doing this. Or I don't want you going there. The very best thing to do from time to time is sit down and talk about, you know, why would it be good not to do this particular thing? And what would be a better thing than that? You know, in other words, begin to help them to realize Christianity isn't about us keeping a whole pile of rules. But it's a living, it's a living, vibrant thing. And that's what, of course, attracted the people to Jesus. Like, why did he constantly get invited to the homes of people 
you should never go to lunch with. I mean, the Pharisees said, see where he is today? You see where he went for lunch? And they just could not understand it. <laughs> and, and those people, for the first time in their life, those people realized God is here to seek and to save that which is lost. The shepherd is looking for what sheep? The father is waiting for what son? Yeah, the Pharisees weren't doing any of those things. They were standing there constantly pointing their finger. So Jesus says again, unless your righteousness exceeds the kind of righteousness you see in these guys, you have no part in the kingdom. Because that is not a righteousness whatsoever. So I hope you grasp this. And and it's so important in Jesus' thinking. Because it comes to haunt us every generation. For us to rediscover and become a people alive in the liberty of the grace of Christ. And not just become the gatekeepers of a false law. And then reread the law for its beauty. The beauty behind each one of the statements. Turn it around positively. What's it calling us to do? But to love God with everything and our neighbors as ourselves. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say hard things in your teaching, but you say them because you're trying to call us away from self-righteousness, away from pride, away from the deceit of the human heart to realize that we can only live as you would have us live by you living within us and through us. We cast ourselves on you. We thank you for the provision of grace, for the renewing of the Spirit, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who can work out his beautiful fruit within us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.